Nerds! Welcome to Nerd Farm Cast Episode 3. You'll have Nick and me talking about Mass Effect 3, major spoilers for the endings, also talking about the new movies that came out this week. So sit back and enjoy, and just a reminder that everything this podcast is brought to you by Cosmic Comics in Las Vegas, and the dudes over at Fatbeard Studios also look for us in the upcoming uh, AIDS Walk at UNLV here in Las Vegas. So we look forward to seeing you there also. Just sit back and enjoy the podcast. Afternoon, Nerd Farm bloggers. Welcome to Nerd Farmcast episode three. And then uh, I'm Burke. I'm Nick. And I think the majority of today, it seems like all three of our podcasts have been about Mass Effect Three. But it's, I mean, it's an epic game. Well, I mean, epic. When when you think about it, it's pretty much the biggest game of of 2012. Uh, I mean, I can't name anything else that's you know that's come out recently that's been that big i mean everything else that was big came out last year uh well as far as that big like you know skyrim arkham city you know unless they announce uh you know arkham world is going to come out at the end of this year you're not i don't i don't see anything maybe uh well you know i'm discounting diablo 3 because i don't really care anymore um you know, like I've said before, if you're excited about point-and-click dungeons, there's a few out there right now. You can still go load up Diablo 1 and 2. But other than throwing in a bunch of World of Warcraft-based talent points for your character, you're really not looking at anything a whole lot different. It's a top-down dungeon crawler, and it's point-and-click. I mean, it's going to be fun, but it's not going to be a game-changer. No, I think it's definitely just Blizzard pleasing the masses is oh, what yeah. it comes to. But the the big game that's coming out at the close of the end of this year is going to be Borderlands 2. I mean, that, that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I I would like to get it, but I mean, I'm I'm not drooling. I'm not foaming at the mouth for it. You know, it's not it's not one of those ones where it's like I must play that game. You know, it's when when they announce the the Skyrim. DLC, then I'll then I'll start foaming, you know, or the Mass Effect DLC. But it, you know, there, I I don't see anything over the horizon unless someone comes out of the woodwork and is like, oh, Mech Warrior Four is coming out with the Crisis Engine this year, yay! Then you know, then we're looking at something cool. Well, Armored Core Five is out, and I've been hearing good things about Armored Core Five, especially with the multiplayer. And also coming out at the end of this year is Hawken, which I think you will really like. Hawken got a release date of twelve, twelve, twelve. Ooh, so, yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll. Uh, I'm sorry. What was the, what was the one right before Hawken that you said? Because it's on the tip of my tongue now, and I can't think of Armored Core Five. Okay, Armored Core. I bought a PlayStation Two uh, just to play the series back in the day because it was a PS exclusive and it was fun up until it went multi-platform and when they released it for both Xbox and the PlayStation 
it was just really kind of an embarrassment to the series. The, the controls have never been good. They've never tried to upgrade them from there. It's just been kind of disappointing. So when you, when you, uh, oh, spoiler alert, there's probably going to be a lot of language in this one. Uh, it, it's a shit storm when you pick up the controller for any recent armored core game. I picked the last one up and I immediately put it back down. I mean, that's, it's not good. Well, it's, they, they told, they didn't tell the critics. A lot of critics did not rate Armored Core 5 because they couldn't have, it, it weighs bases heavily on multiplayer. So they didn't, uh, they felt it, they have to get online. They didn't have people to go against online, you know, prior to launch. So now they're waiting a little bit. And I think it's a smart thing, giving it a fair chance. So we'll see how the reviews come in in a couple weeks. Well, if they do, if they do control or, or, or rather, if they do the controls right, it's not that hard to make the game really fun they make it not fun because for some reason there's a disconnect when you pick up a controller and you have the two shoulder buttons and the two trigger buttons and they don't, they use the PlayStation controls like for mag where if you shoot something, you don't pull the trigger, you press the shoulder button. And I don't, maybe it's because I'm an Xbox guy, but I don't get the concept. If I want to shoot something, I pull a trigger so I like having it. And then they don't allow you to customize controls, which is another a big issue that I have with it. Yeah, I can't help you at all because I never played in the Armored Core. The mech battles is your game. It's not uh, my thing. And I mean, you've been, you've been yeah. in it ever since. What was that arcade Dreamcast game? Oh, no, no, no. It was... Um, Virtual it was Expo- Oh, no, no, no. Let's go, let's go even bigger than that. Xbox oh. One had Steel Battalion, and I was one of, like... I don't know, maybe 20 people in America that bought it because it had a $200 price tag and 150 of that is just for the controller because yeah. it's, it's a, a literally the biggest controller you'll ever play outside of driving a real mech. Uh, the controller itself was, it came in three parts and each part was about a foot wide. And then, and it had like two joysticks, a throttle control, all these extra buttons down to, um, you know, important stuff like shooting out flares to draw missiles off of you down to stupid stuff like wiping the windshields and turning on your fire extinguishers. You know, it's got a button for every situation. Uh, and then it's got foot pedals and, you know, and there's and there's three on there because you got, you know, gas brake. And then you got your um, where a clutch would be in, a, in an automobile. You got the uh, it's like a sidestep pedal so that you can kind of bob and weave out of the way of of incoming fire and i found that game fun the only problem was there was virtually no american player base and it when you're playing it not it's not even racist asian kids are better at video games than any any american and there it was 90 percent of the player base was all asian players yeah yeah it was yeah and and it's i mean it's proven in starcraft 2 but in dj hero and dj hero 2 I uh, I battle those kids and I do I I uh, fend for myself pretty well, but well yeah I I did too but I I was never able to understand any of my teammates was was my yeah. issue so it, it loses a little bit of the fun plus most people are not uh, they're not willing to spend the the two hundred dollars to to buy into it and later they released the because it was initially it was two hundred dollars for a single player game. 
And then for like 39 bucks or something, they put out the multiplayer version, which was completely worth the entire cost. Yeah. But then I, for anybody who has not checked out the new Hawken, there's a new uh, trailer out for the release date on 12.12. Check out Hawken. It's an independent game. It is looking awesome. And I think, Nick, I... Pretty sure you've seen a few of the trailers that I've sent in your direction, but Hawken is looking to be very impressive, so it's worth a, it's worth checking out. All right. But uh, right now, warning to anyone who is listening: if you have not beat Mass Effect Three, pause the podcast, beat it, and come back because yeah. there's going to be major spoilers right now. We are going to talk about Mass Effect Three endings and things that have happened in Mass Effect that affected our game. So anybody who's not ready. Pause it and come back later. Because I don't want you to stop listening. Just come back later. And, and, I mean, it's been out for almost an entire month now. So if you haven't beat it by now, you're either A, not a gamer, or B, you have virtually no life. <laughs> well, I yesterday I spent eight hours in front of the television trying to beat Mass Effect 3 because the Internet wanted me to know the endings, and I did not want to get spoiled. So I spent eight hours sitting, which I was I had free time, luckily, and I was like, I am beating this game because the internet is trying to ruin it for me. So I did finish it yesterday, and I got the ending. Well, before we before we get into the endings, let's talk about um, the build up to it. Like, what what did you find? Because I I found that I grew to actually care about my characters much like uh, women do with with their love movies or their Twilight or whatever. Um, I found that I actually grew to really care about the welfare of my characters and, and the interactions that I had with them. So what, what did you find most uh, emotional or most um, influencing on your decision-making during the game? Like what scenes really touched you as you're so, playing it? Here's the problem. I played Mass Effect 2. I beat it, got all the way to the end, saved all my people, and I was like, I'm just going to play Mass Effect 3. Like I don't want to see – I don't want to import my character – Bad move. One thing, it helps our conversation talking, saying, hey, here's what's different about Mass Effect 3, but if you do not, if you have not played Mass Effect 1 or 2, in my opinion, you will not have that connection with players, because already I just started up today a new game with my Mass Effect 2, uh, my Mass Effect 2 Shepard, and there's already, the, the dialogue is already different. Like, instead of saying, Shepard, so-and-so with the council my conversation with them now says you destroyed the council to save humanity. And I'm kind of like, oh, I've totally forgot about that. But people have already have perceived feelings where before it was just a generalized shepherd. You don't like the council because I hadn't done those things before. And so when talking to you, you're like, oh yeah, so-and-so hops out. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even have that option because that person is not in Mass Effect 3. If you did not import and that person did not survive Mass Effect 2, you essentially don't see him in Mass Effect 3. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing my Mass Effect 2. But for the scenes that touched me, the only thing is at the very, very end, seeing like Joker trying to outrun the black hole was, I mean, it gave me goosebumps in the music. And I was like, dude, I do. I, I cannot see why people do not like these endings because it is intense. And unfortunately, I didn't, like even with, Morden, I didn't have any connection with Morden, but even though you know I was good friends with him in Mass Effect 2, because he is in Mass Effect 3, I didn't have, like you said, his death scene kind of touched you. I was like, 
I didn't have any feeling for it. I was kind of like, oh, well, that, yeah. I think a lot of the game, in each mission, somebody was dying. And it became a realization that people are going to die in this game. And I just really just was numbed to the fact that people just keep dying in my group, essentially. And Well, see, I, I was the exact opposite. Like, I went and I did all the I – paid, I paid the $40 buy-in price. That, that's how much it costs uh, right now if you're trying to buy into the, the franchise from the get-go. 20 for one, 20 for two. And I played one all the way, made all the decisions, and then played two all the way through and, you know, kept everybody alive. And then um, I went into three, you know, not – I tried to stay away from a lot of the spoilers, but, you know, my curiosity gets the better of me because I want to make sure all of them live. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I went and I did all the loyalty missions in two you know, had all these connections with all these characters and, and wanted to see what happens to them in three. So I went through three trying to make sure that, you know, I, I did right by all of them, um, you know, making sure that, that their lives were at least sort of improved or doing the best thing that I could for them. Like, I didn't really want to play Renegade because I don't think it really benefited a lot of people, and you lose out on a few different resources if you choose to go that way. Um, but yeah, like having having been with certain characters all the way from the beginning, uh, I I took special interest in keeping them alive. Like you never met Rex because you did not uh, save him in the first game, or or did you play the first one or? No. I never played the first one, and in Mass Effect 2, they do not give you the option to keep Rex alive. It yeah. is not an option. And I think when you're talking about going total renegade, just so people who are listening know, you can you can defeat the Reapers with a 1900. Uh, your readiness can be 1900, and you can still go and defeat the Reapers. Like you can you can tell people to f off all day long. The only thing it changes is who's supporting you at the end. And as long as you reach 1900, you're fine. And I, w- when it got towards the end, I did two renegade options, you know, where you hit the trigger. Mm-hmm. And I really want to see what would happen if I did not do those triggers. But you continue on with your talk, and we'll talk further on yeah. that. Well, and and they, they get me a lot with, with those trigger options because I see them, and my initial uh, instinct is to just immediately jam the trigger without even thinking. And I don't know if that's a military thing or, or just a gamer thing, but... It, I like button presses and I like to press the buttons and I will press the button when you tell me that I need to press the button. So, you know, they caught me off guard with a couple of those. Um, but yeah, like the, the scenes that, that get me, no matter how many times I see them, uh, one is, is when you send Morden and, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a romanticized, um, idea of the, of the quote unquote, uh, beautiful death i think and when when morden goes up into the tower to uh set right the genophage and he's sitting there you know humming his little gilbert and sullivan song uh and and you know he's like i have to go you know it has to be me someone else might have got it wrong and it's it's kind of sentimental and sweet but at the same time you're staring at a man uh, and I'm going to talk like they're all real because they are real. Uh, you're, you're talking to a man who has come to peace with dying 
and is making the most impactful decision that he can with the little bit of his life that's left. And it's it's really touching to see that, that he faces his death uh, bravely. And then they talk about him, you know, uh, Rex. Be, well, because I had all my characters through all the games, Rex is talking, uh, you know, kind of as a, not really a funeral, but, you know, talking to Shepard, he's like, you know, Morden was a was a hell of a guy. And basically, he's like, you know, we might name one of the children after him, possibly yeah. a girl. And I was like, you know, that's that's funny and cute. But, you know, it, it shows that even though there is that um, racism between the, the Krogan and, and the uh, Solarians, that even Rex could, you know, pull out of that and and see the good in, in the race. Yeah, I, I I like to use the word like animosity. It it is racism, but it's also animosity yeah. towards. Yeah. And and then uh, because you didn't have Thane alive in yours, you never got to go to his uh, funeral. Now, for those that played uh, two, they know Thane as the assassin uh, who has he's a Drell, which is kind of a lizard person uh, who has Keppel syndrome. Keppel syndrome, in layman's terms basically means that the oxygen molecules don't attach to the uh the what is it the plasma or the red blood cells during uh uh perfusion so basically his body is rejecting oxygen and he can't breathe so it's causing him to die which is why he's not a playable character in the third one now and he for those who kept him alive he makes a cameo appearance uh, and stops an assassination and allows you to pick up the Solarian uh, support on on your uh, galactic readiness. And then later, because he's been stabbed, you go see him at the hospital, um, and he is prepared to die. And they say a little prayer. And not only is it sad that that he's dying, and you know he's he's one of these guys that you know he's another one of those warriors that's that's going into the great beyond to meet his fate. Uh, you know, he, he says this prayer and then Shepard's like, well, he died a hero. Why, why was he praying? Um, and then his son who you helped prevent living a life of crime and ultimately meeting his death says, well, the prayer wasn't for him. It was for you. And that, that kind of touched me. Like, you know, the character is dying and even in his last moments, he's thinking about making the world right, you know, and, and even though I don't believe in any deities or anything and my shepherd is, uh, you know, by extension, an atheist, uh, it's kind of touching that, that in his last moments, he's thinking of, of someone else's welfare. So I thought that that was sweet and it gets me misty watching it. Well, one thing that you say that it, it wasn't a moment, but there was one where I felt extremely nervous where Joker says, take care of Edie. And it was, I felt it was my duty that those two were going to be together, period. Yep. I was, I was, I was not going to try to steal Edie like you were, but they were meant to be together. And he said, be careful. I was like, something terrible is going to happen to Edie. Joker's going to be crushed. So I made sure that she did all the, like any job that needed to be done. She was the one doing the job because I didn't want her off. And every single time we went to a mission, I was like, somebody's dying in this mission. Please don't make it be Edie and stuff like that. Well, so, and that that was the other thing when I when I got to the end of my game, they're like, if you if you choose to destroy the Reapers, you kill all synthetics. And I was like, 
I didn't listen to that part. I just, I guess my brain shut off. It killed the Reapers. So I blew them up. And then I was like, oh, shit, Edie's a synthetic. God damn it. You know, and then because the ending changes, if mm-hmm. you chose uh, to, to fuse the synthetics and organics, then uh, Joker becomes part machine and Edie becomes part human. And they they get off of the Normandy in the last cutscene together and hold hands and kind of, you know, snuggle close to each other on the new world. Uh, excuse me. <coughs> and if you chose to destroy the Reapers, well, then the rest of your team gets off the Normandy with Joker and Edie's, you know, nowhere to be seen. And I then realized I'd picked the wrong ending and I should have picked uh, Synthesis, you know, to make sure everybody's happy. Yeah, and Synthesis is the one that I chose. I went right in the middle. I was like, I'm making a Synthesis. And I was like, thank God it ended with Edie and Joker together because that was my whole big deal during the whole game was to make sure that they were happy together. Well, had there been an option for me to steal Edie, I would have, but I think that those two make a, a perfect couple. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I I know your feelings on... I'm pretty sure Bioware has not given into the masses. I don't think they're going to change the endings. They just said a thing saying, we're listening to everyone's feedback. It does upset us that you guys don't like it. I didn't see any problems with the endings. Well, there there is an article that I read, and I don't believe that it's just the rumor patrol. It had a few quotes from a couple of the higher-ups in Bioware, and they said, basically, they, I, I think the gist is that they're going to add another ending because... The the I, and I use this loosely. The fan base has been complaining, but my problem is the game sold 3.5 million copies, and out of that number, the vocal minority, 50,000 people, have been complaining about the endings. Now, if you do the math, that's one percent of the entirety of the people that purchased have the problem with the ending, and. I really hate when companies bow down to a vocal minority because it's stupid. And also, they've already got your money. What what are you? What more are you entitled to? You're playing. Uh, and the best way I heard it is is comes from Gabe at Penny Arcade. The best way I've heard it from him is you're playing a choose your own adventure. Don't joke and and trick yourself into thinking that you're the author of the story. If you don't understand how the ending works or you don't think it's credible, you're an idiot or you have no idea how good storytelling works. The the main problem that that I've read that people have with the storyline is when the mass relays blow up, uh, they played the Arrival DLC for number two, and apparently you destroy a mass relay and that by throwing a meteor at it. Uh, and it causes it to detonate and explode, and it destroys uh, the galaxy that it's in. Now, they're saying, well, all these relays explode, and they destroy the galaxies that they're in. Well, they're not really exploding as much as they are just self-destructing. Self-destructing, and I, yeah. I know that sounds contradictory, but the I really feel like the wave of color, which is the other complaint that they have, uh, coming out of them is more or less a a visual depiction of the signal being sent from the crucible so that idiots know what's going on. 
and yeah. the, then the relays destruct and they kind of just implode on themselves. Uh, you know, and, and if you have such a problem with the game, you are taking the game way too seriously. Well, my big thing is like, what, what is, <clears throat> my big thing was, what was your complaint about the ending? The ending one, it derives some type of emotion. One, I was really nervous. Like, what is happening to Joker? Is Joker going down? Why does it show me pictures of Admiral Hackett and and Joker? And you know, why is it? You know, on one of them, Big Ben blows up. Is that is that Earth being destroyed? It all. Well, see, that, then they say there's not enough closure, but it's like you're seeing all these images. And I don't really think that you need closure as much as you need to look at it from a different angle. You're seeing what's going on in Shepard's head during this whole sequence. Like when he goes up, like say you're trying to control the Reapers or you, or you detonate the thing or you jump down the computer tube to synthesize everybody. Those are his last thoughts about the people that he most cares about as he dies, like showing that He's doing this for the betterment of the galaxy, not just for himself, not, you know, for for any other reason than to make the galaxy a better place. And people don't understand that because all the people complaining are, I'm pretty sure, between the ages of 18 and 13. And those people have no business commenting on storytelling anyways because they haven't been around long enough. That And most of the stuff that comes out now is just trite to sell, you know, box office tickets like the Hunger Games, which I will get into later. If you're if you're not a girl and you're not a teenager, don't see that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think I'm I'm pursuing a walk right into Hunger Games. I I I don't think we've beat the whole Mass Effect three thing to death, but the fact that I don't like them bowing down because one, it sets a president saying. Oh, if some people don't like something, then we can just change it. It's like, no, and the thing about Mass Effect 3 is Shepard's storyline may be dead, but the Mass Effect, uni- Mass Effect universe is not gone. Well, it, yeah. it will not be gone. And I mean, even if the Mass Effect relays aren't there anymore, uh, the Normandy has a Mass Effect drive on board. So it is possible to replicate the technology without the relays. And it's built into all of their all of their weapon systems. Uh, there's tiny little Mass Effect drives in the guns because all their guns are basically rail guns. Mm-hmm. Their their armor has has to have some sort of Mass Effect field generated around it to some degree to prevent them from being killed by their tiny little rail guns. You know, so it's I don't know. People just don't. They're trying to speculate on something that requires the suspension of disbelief because it is fiction. It is sci-fi. Why are they taking it so literal? Yeah, it's, it's what we talked about last and will be talked about, I think for the years to come. And that's the gamer, the gamer's mentality of self entitlement. And well, it's, it's really not that way, but let's continue on. Well, to... one, one last thing is like, you know, how many people go into an art gallery and bitch about a painting Till that artist comes and changes it, you know, they want to talk about how video games are art. Well, treat it like art, accept it for what it is. I mean, if you don't think that you should have to pay for DLC, don't buy it. 
but they're yep. going to charge you. You're not entitled to their their hard work. That's like saying if I go out and buy an Offspring CD from 1989 or whenever they first came out, like I should get the rest of their music for free. You know, and and it's I do think Mass Effect is one of the best stories ever told as far as gaming sagas go. Um uh, you know, they they don't owe you anything as far as changing the storyline. If you don't like it, you don't have to play it. But if you're just going to jump on the bandwagon of the ending sucks, you are beating a dead horse, and you're an idiot. Yeah, because I, I can't even go on the – if you go on any forum, the people's reasons for not liking the endings are completely retarded, period. They're not even, they're not even worth reading. And the Mass Effect does have one of the best stories. I think the only thing that I enjoy more than Mass Effect is the Metal Gear Solid saga, period. So, <clears throat> but enough enough Mass Effect. Let's talk Hunger Games uh, for you, a minute. I, I'm going to see it Friday. Okay. The wife wants to. You saw it tonight. Just just literally just got home from it. Uh, girlfriend really liked it. She enjoyed it, and she's getting ready to read the book. Um, the movie is two hours and twenty two minutes long, and yet. It uh, feels like they spent the first two hours setting up the premise uh, and then a, a half hour action almost. Uh, and, and the basic premise is it's this, I don't know, dystopian society where the rich upper class control the lower class poor. And they demand that every year uh, two young you know, a, a male and female between the age of 12 and 18 be sacrificed as tribute uh, to the upper class in what they call the Hunger Games, which is basically a fight to the death. So the movie can be broken down to in terms that teenagers will understand. Uh, it is Battle Royale meets Twilight. <laughs> Because it's it, Battle Royale is, a, 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 I think, a Japanese movie. I'm probably wrong on what uh, Asian culture put it out. But you keep you keep talking. I'm going to Google it. You keep talking. All right. All right. But it's it's a movie about uh, youth in. I'm pretty sure it's Japan. Uh, youth in Japan uh, becoming so violent and corrupted and wild that they take classes uh, to this island or wherever. And they force them to battle to death to control the surplus population of teenagers. So uh, I guess what the lesson here is, is if you take any Japanese movie and then dumb it down for an American audience and write a book about it uh, and then add a bunch of teen angst and drama to it, you can make a million dollars because uh, or, or I'm just an idiot. And I totally missed whatever the magic is because it's it's doing what, a hundred and. 35, 155 million or billion or something at the box office. So it set a record for the most money in its first weekend for not being a sequel. Uh, but I, I just don't get it. It's really not that good. And maybe it's because I'm not a teenager, but uh, they, they spend like two hours setting up this whole thing just to, to have the running man, but with kids. And then, then all that they they put them up on these pedestals, right? And they got this big, they call it the cornucopia. It's this giant box, essentially, that's got a bunch of supplies and weapons in it. 
and they they you know the timer counts down they all take off running and there's 24 of them right because it's it's two kids from each of the 12 districts and then in a montage of scrambling and killing they kill off 11 of the uh, 24 kids right then uh and and character development is virtually non-existent. These these characters are uh, <laughs> as well developed as the best Michael Bay film characters are, and <laughs> it, it's it's laughable like how little you actually care about the characters in this movie. Um, and then everybody has a stupid name, like the main character. She's good at archery, so they named her Catrice. And Catrice, I guess, is um, some pseudoname or something of a, of a flower. Uh, sorry, a flower. A flower whose true meaning uh, means like head of the arrow or something. And it's like, really? And then, then the main character, his name is, it's not Peter, it's Peta. Like P-E-E-T-A. Like, and then there's guys named like Seneca or Cinna and... The the ruling upper class rich looks like a cross between rodeo clowns and like George Washington era the the Victorian people, yeah like with the wigs and stuff except they all have like clown makeup on too yeah yeah Victorian blue bloods yeah 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 and it's uh, it just it it kind of just made me mad like watching I'm sitting there like waiting for it to end. Uh, and it just keeps going, but they don't, they don't show any of the violence on screen and they could have had, and I, I know why they did it. They made it a PG 13 movie so that more people could come to see it. But I wanted to see, you know, if it's a movie about people fighting to the death, I'd like to see a little bit more fighting to the death and a little bit less about, uh, teenagers falling in love under pressure because I don't care. You know, it's. I don't care about kids falling in love at all. I came to see kids fight to the death and that's not what you see. Yeah, no, it's yeah. The battle Royale came out in 2000. It is a uh, Japanese government captures a class of ninth grade students and forces them to kill each other under the revolutionary battle Royale act. So that was in 2000, the hunger games written by Suzanne Collins comes out in 2010. And now you have the hunger games, that is out now in 2012 is the movie and it brought in 155 mil right now. Yeah. So and I, I did not hear about the hunger games until they said it was going to be a movie. Cause I don't, I don't read books unless it's Harry Potter. And even then that's, that's a stretch for me. Uh, well, I'm, I'm illiterate and I don't like reading. No, yeah, uh, the, wife, the wife read all the books and she really liked that. That's why she wants to see it really bad. And since she's a chick, I'm assuming she's going to like it. But I'm glad I'm glad you gave me the warning so I know what I can go into expect with this. Get drunk before you see it. Just get blitzed because then <laughs> you'll enjoy it. But uh, well, we're still on movies. Well, like I was saying, the highlight of The Hunger Games was getting to watch the new uh, Prometheus trailer. Mm-hmm. So I'm still mm-hmm. still really excited for that one. Um, and is, I mean, it just keeps getting better as far as the trailers are concerned. Is it still the, is it the same brand new trailer that just hit YouTube or is it a new, new trailer? It's a little bit different than that. Okay. Marginally different, but I still enjoyed it. Oh, I, this movie's going to be fantastic. Both me and you are big 
Aliens fans. I think you're bigger than me, but I, I love just Aliens. watched number two again on Blu-ray last night because uh, I, I picked up the box set. You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. I really like the mythology behind it. I like, as far as sci-fi is concerned, that's that's one of my top uh, five sci-fi movies is the the Alien franchise. Yeah, I really on the Alien franchise. I've really stopped after the third. But what I liked about the Aliens franchise is back in the day, and when I say the day, I mean the 1970s and the 80s. Everything was built. They had their explosions. Like you can on Blu-ray, you've seen it on Aliens on Blu-ray. You can tell the green screen but everything else those are all sets they're all something that was really driven they're dudes in phenomenal alien costumes like these guys walking around with those are costumes those are not this is not cg these are guys in the most intricate costumes you will ever see and it's just yeah the mythology is awesome the movie is awesome it's a great story the the time runs very well i mean everything is just it's a brilliant franchise i really enjoy it well, and then the the first one, because the, the first one really is a lot different than any of them that have followed it. The first one is a horror film, mm-hmm. and it's almost like watching two movies in one because you have the first portion of the movie where they're, you know, they're just simple space, I don't know, miners or whatever. But they, you know, they're exploring and they go out and, you know, then then an accident happens to their their teammate. And then, you know, he comes back with a face hugger and, and it kills him, uh, you know, blows up through his chest and whatnot. But, you know, and then it swaps over to like sort of a survival horror mm-hmm. setting. And it, and it's it's really good. Um, and I think that's where the movie really comes alive is after the, well, I guess, obviously, but Ripley dealing with uh, the alien and that and. And spoiler alert, uh, watching, watching it on Blu-ray last night, watching Aliens, Blu-ray highlights everything, which mm-hmm. is awesome, but also not a great uh, thing sometimes, as it highlighted the fact that Ripley in 1986 was still rocking 70s Bush. Yes. And you can see it on the corners of her because she's in in two different scenes in the movie. She's in her underwear and she's wearing like granny panties and it's still rocking out the sides of the granny panties. And it's it's not at all flattering. And that's one of the things that I wish they had, you know, maybe airbrushed out in the Blu-ray. Well, in, in, the, in the Blu-ray, too, on Aliens, the set you, on Aliens, they have the explosion scene that is right behind him and you can see so well like the green screen behind oh, yeah. yeah and and if you watch if you watch like in the first one on blu-ray uh when they're inside the little shuttle uh that ultimately ripley survives on um it's a model when they show the outside shots but they blue screen the windows and it's like looking back it's so poorly done because it's not even from the right angle yeah, it's, it's distorted and, and weird looking. So, I mean, but that it's 1986. So what can you do? Yeah, but talk about Blu-rays. Two came out this week. We have Muppets movie, which I really enjoyed. It was in the picks of the week and the girl with the dragon tattoo. So how did you like the Muppets on Blu-ray? Um, I really, really liked it. Uh, the, the quality is so high. It is on par with watching a 3D movie uh, in the theater. Like, I mean, you know, 3D hasn't really blown me away since, I don't know, like 
Captain EO at Disneyland when it actually looked like it was flying around in front of you. Um, but I saw Avatar in 3D, and it was basically just like watching a Blu-ray. But watching the Muppets in in my house, you know, it's you can see all the all the textures of everything. Like you know, you see you can count Fozzie Bear's actual hair or the the little sprinkle blue things on Gonzo's nose. So I mean, seeing it in such high contrast detail uh, was really really enjoyable. And I mean, besides the movie's just fun, anyways. But you know, when you have it in such high detail, I don't I don't want to go to the theater anymore. I want to stay home and watch my Blu-rays because then I don't have to deal with uh, the parents that bring their seven and eight year old children to see the hunger games. Uh, and I, I got to listen to a dumb little kid open candy wrappers and then be like, I really like this movie. It's like, shut up, shut up. No one wants to hear you. You're eight. You don't have an opinion on anything, you know? Yeah. It's, but I, the same thing with the Blu-rays, talking about the Muppets, is where CG is at with the Blu-rays. And I really like the Muppets. I like the nostalgia that it really kept. It kept everything true to the Muppets and really brought them back saying, this is how great they are. They're still great. Jason Siegel did a great job with the songs. And I guess I guess Muppet of a Man won a Academy Award for being best like original score or original song in a movie or something. I see that. That has to say a lot. And The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo on our Ultraviolet, have you got a chance to watch it yet? Uh, no, because I've been so enthralled with Mass Effect and trying to correct every single mistake that I possibly made in the first and second ones that I have literally, outside a couple other things like Journey or Shoot Mini Robots, I have been playing Mass Effect nonstop when I get free time. Yeah, and and that's unfortunately it's, it's I don't think it's showing on the blog, but it's definitely both me and you trying to get Mass Effect done. Other things have kind of sat on the back burner, but I am not going to talk about Girl with the Dragon Tattoo because there is so much into it. The book's brilliant, the foreign film's good. This See, movie, I originally fantastic. saw the the foreign version and I liked it. I thought it was good, and I think that there may be uh, <clears throat> because nudity and and the sexual content is rather taboo in this country still uh, to some degree. I think that there may be a little bit left out as far as like, for those who have seen the original version, um, the part where the, the main female character uh, takes revenge on this guy who's molested her uh, in, and ultimately, you know, destroys his, his personage. Uh, I, I think that that will, not be as graphic uh, when I go into this one, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I haven't seen the foreign one, so I don't know where you're at, but you, I do suggest you do watch this one, because this one is also very good, and I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I have not seen the foreign version, but I'm betting that it's probably a little more aggressive in the foreign version. Well, but, and I mean, it, and it wasn't even like distasteful, but I also like seeing the bad guys get their comeuppance. Uh, oh, good know, word, bro. Good word. Yeah. Uh, I do not like uh, where violence and sexual content is is graphic for almost no reason. Um, like for those, anybody who saw Last House on the left, mm -hmm. I, I walked out of the theater. The, the They have a rape scene in that movie of like a 13 or 14-year-old girl. Um, and it's just, it was over the top, like just... You know, it, it was one penis away from being full-on porn. 
And it's just, you don't, what, when did we cross the threshold of like, you know, like you can show parts of boobs or parts of butts, you know, and, and have a sex scene to this was on par with like a snuff film and I'm not a pedophile and I'm not into snuff films. So I don't really want to watch this teenage girl get raped. And the rape scene was literally like 15 minutes long. Well, and, here, and here's the thing is, have you seen the original John Carpenter last house on the left? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. Actually, it's not John Carpenter. I'm sorry. Everyone's going to flame us. It's Wes Craven. Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, it's Wes Craven. And, I actually watched it, and that rape scene is not as graphic as exactly. Like you said, it was where it needed to be. It was uncomfortable, but at the end, everyone's face, all the people who raped on, as on their face, kind of looks at each other and they're like, what did we just do? Like, what have we done where they had this sense? And you you kind of look at it being like, yeah, are you as uncomfortable as I am? And I don't know how – I haven't seen the new Last House on the Left, but the way the first one did was almost not tasteful, but that rape scene afterwards – you're like everyone's looking at each other, being like, "What did we just do?" Yeah, there's like, like an implied remorse, but there, there, this was like balls in your face, like pure just rape. Like, was it, was it the was it the uncomfortable, awkward, retard rape of Hills Have Eyes? No, it was a, it was a very malicious, very uh, I I want to say maybe like uh, premeditated, just violent. Uh, you know, and I'm not I'm not the world's biggest advocate for all things females' rights or anything, but this just I I just wanted to walk out of, and I did walk out of the theater and I got my money back. I was like, this is ridiculous. There was no need for all of of this scene. It could have been done <clears throat> like I could I could write and film a rape scene and have it last thirty seconds, and you would still get the idea that somebody's being raped. I mean. You don't have to show everything but a penis and a vagina to to have it be a rape scene. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it's they're definitely it's it's gone that way. It is it is gone from and you could do a whole we could do a whole podcast on where horror has come or where horror has gone, but it has gone and I I think it is slowly trickling its way back. But it has gone from implied we can't see this monster it's scary into this. We have to disfigure people and make people very uncomfortable to scare them back to the now we can be genuinely scary again instead of being just over graphic such as hostile or saw. I never like another one I didn't enjoy just because it's like uh, and and I don't like saw either. I'm not into the torture films like it just doesn't do anything for me. No, it's yeah. And and I, I think that's where and a great example is I don't know if you in, enjoyed the films. I thought they were pretty decent. Was the Paranormal Activity the very first one? You you don't get to see that ghost. He doesn't disfigure anybody. Nobody loses limbs. It was just a creepy movie, and that's where I hopefully horror is bringing its way back to. Well, I didn't I didn't find it scary at all. I found it more annoying than anything else. Well, see, I I, I thought it was very well done. Very well. I, I don't done. like documentary style uh, films. And, yeah, because it's like you're not. You're not making a movie at that point, like say the Blair Witch or uh, Quarantine or um, what's the one in New York with the giant Cloverfield? 
Field, it, yeah. It's not a movie at that point. You are just handing some jackass a camera and telling him to run around with his buddies. I did that in high school, and maybe that's where I went wrong by not continuing to do that from high school. But it's just it's not a movie at that point. And then the, the one of my other complaints with like the Hunger Games, since we're talking about film, is it's like uh, the the cinematography was my other the first thing that I noticed when I was watching that film is shaky cam does not qualify or quantify you as a a filmmaker. Shaky cam is like your last resort. It's it's a crutch. It's you shouldn't be falling back on it because it just means that you are terrible at showing stuff. You have no way other to show and illustrate an action than by not showing it because it's so blurry. It's like watching the Transformers. I don't know what's going on. It sounds like two engine blocks being swung against each other at 100 miles an hour. It's funny that you mentioned that because I was about to say that. I was about to say Transformers. is. I was like, well, I don't even know what's going on right now. I all I All I can hear is... That's all, I, that's all I can hear. And it's not even the original sound. All I hear literally is like two engine blocks clanking against each other. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I I think we're pretty good uh, on the Farmcast tonight. I want to end on, since we had rape in there, I want to end on a happy note. And my, uh, I've been waiting for this game for a year. Got my hands on it at CES. Finally came out, got it early. And I thoroughly impressed. It is its journey, a PS3 exclusive. I enjoyed it. I don't there. I don't think there's a, the only per, the only people that I can see who would not enjoy Journey are people who need to kill people in video games. Uh, yeah, it's if, if if your one requirement is it needs guns and violence, well, then you probably need help rather than video games. Yeah, or be like, oh, what's what's the story? And it's like, that's the point, is you don't know what the story is. Wander around, and you're kind of looking around, and you're like, I loved how good the graphics were. I love well, the sound. Let's talk about it for a bit, since we got time. Uh, you know, I I agree. I love the look of it. The it's It almost looks uh, like a painting at, at points, just... You have your character there, and it kind of drops the camera in a, in a weird cinematic angle. And all of the colors in that game are not – they're kind of bland colors, but they're so vibrant when it's when it's put together. And the sun shining down on you, you really get that – the feel of being a, a desert transient, you know, wandering through this uh, sort of, I don't know, an anti-wilderness uh, – and and seeing the ruins of whatever civilization was there because it's it's really artsy as far as like the the bones and whatnot on the ground and the ruins of buildings and and everything and the I don't know it's it's just really really fun to play a game that um, just is so different yeah and I when you talk about colors is my biggest thing was where you say how they're they put together. The, what I, the word I use is contrast. You have very bland colors, but in contrast with the, everything around it, it really draws them out. It draws you in this direction they want you to go. It sends you in this certain thing. There's absolutely zero tutorial. It doesn't tell you how to do anything, but it guides you. I don't know how it does it, but it guides you well, in the right direction. It's very intuitive. Um, yes. It, uh, 
it doesn't require a, a, a working prior knowledge of video games. It it gives you the the concept. You are I I don't know if you're some sort of of intergalactic traveler or an angel or something, but you are wandering the desert. You are given the objective of collecting as many orbs as you can, and then uh, you know and and it allows you to travel with another companion who you meet randomly in your game. Like I I'd heard that. You know, you'll meet somebody and you'll travel together, but it wasn't for like the first 10 minutes until I found somebody and I just saw a flicker of something on the other side of the map. So I'm sitting there, you know, spamming my little uh, song button to try and signal. I'm like, hey, look, I'm over here. You know, come help me. And then you are wandering the desert with your companion uh you know, for as long as you feel like wandering. The only complaint I have with that game is there's no pause the game and quit option. Oh, you you have yeah. to like literally quit out of the game to quit. You have to quit and leave, and you leave, and you feel bad. You don't know this companion. You don't see. You've never seen them. You don't know their name. I can't join you on PlayStation Network and say let's play Journey together because it doesn't work that way. So we wander through the desert. We go into this underwater world. I don't want to give away too many of the worlds, but I'm gonna give away all of them because I want to. In this underwater world that has these <clears throat> these creatures in it that literally scared me. I was like, I don't know what they're going to do to me. I don't know if I'm going to die. I don't know what they're going to do to my companion. So a game that has no weapons, you have nothing to battle anything, and all you can do is run from these scared, it induced fear into me. And then you go into the snow level, and you're trying to climb this mountain. And, and me and my companion stayed right next to each other. And we went through these last two levels through the snow, and we were right next to each other the whole way. And so we finally hit the end, and I'm going to spoil it for anybody who's not played Journey. We hit the end, and we both essentially die. And I'm just like, dude, what just oh, happened? Yeah, I got to that place, and my guy starts slowing down. I feel all bad for him because he's frosting over, and then he's face down in the snow. And I was like, no, I... Damn it, I've wandered your ass out here for the last five hours playing around with you. You are going to make it. So, I mean, after that, I was really happy. But, you know, and, and my favorite level in the game is probably that uh, implied water world. Like, and they did a really good job with, you know, making it look like you're underwater, even though you're not underwater. I don't really get the mythology behind the carpets and everything, but... It works really well. Yeah. But it was that one companion. Yeah, you get out of the snow. Yeah, frostbitten over. You fall over. And I don't know if you had your companion right next to you. But suddenly, you get your little thing. You get shot of this thing like a cannon. And there's your companion that you're with. Both of you are up, alive and kicking. And all I could do is hit that song button. And both of you, because it was like instinctive. You both want to talk to you. Oh, my God, we're alive. Blah, blah, blah. And it, it just had this strong emotional feel where in a game you didn't talk to anybody you don't know what the story is but yet at the end you just felt this ex this this ecstasy this just being ecstatic that you're alive and that you've completed something is it's a gift that not many games can do and that's what journey and you could beat the game in three hours yeah and it, but it was very gratifying you know <clears throat> beating it and then you know yeah it gives you the new game plus option and it gives you a couple more designs on your dress cape whatever it is but it, it is a sense of satisfaction when you've helped your little wanderer you know meet the the end of the game and i'm wondering if there isn't a point where like the the restart 
stops and you see a, a different ending. So, I mean, I do want to keep playing it. Uh, the only thing that I would add to that game would probably be an option to jump into your friend's game once you beat it as like an unlockable, you know? So like you, you beat the game and now you have the option to jump into your buddy's game, you know, with or without his consent and, and, you know, wander around with a friend because it's, it, it would be a more, um, I don't know, uh, uh, any, a more intimate experience if you were actually playing it with someone you know, as opposed to a stranger. But that is also one of the magic of, uh, about it, is playing it with a stranger that can't grief you or troll you the entire time you're playing. Exactly. It's like, if they want to wander on ahead, you don't have to wander on ahead. They can go and they can leave. Like, they don't need to stay there. You know, they don't need to stay next to you. That's That's their prerogative. So... But that's all I have to talk about in this Farmcast 2. We're at a good 50, uh, 56 minutes. So well, hopefully we didn't spoil. Uh, hopefully you guys follow the rules and we're good little nerds and shut off the podcast and went and beat Mass Effect. If you're not, well, then you get everything you deserve. Yes. And I, and I think, you know, I can't give you a, a complete date when the next podcast will be, when there's enough good things going on, enough good news, good juicy gossip that we can give you guys. We'll bring you guys some more, uh, another podcast. But uh, I'd say until next Nerd Farmcast, I'm Burke. And I'm Nick. And all you guys, behave yourselves.